Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh. We are delighted to have you here for worship. Old friends and new, please pick up the friendship pad and pass it to everyone in your pew. Also, please sign your name so we are aware of your presence and we can all greet one another by name at the conclusion of worship. If you would like to talk to a Stephen minister confidentially, the Stephen minister on duty today is Dick Sprinkle, and he is available in the narthex wearing a special name tag. Uh, be sure to take a look at a bulletin for the details of upcoming events and additional announcements. And we do have three special announcements. Uh, Noel, could you come forward, please? It's that special time of the year again, isn't it? Did you spend yesterday afternoon listening to Karen Carpenter with that velvet voice? That was great. That was so good. But you know what? Fifteen minutes is cut by five minutes. Five minutes of guilt-ridden pledge drive, right? And they're going to come back at you again and again and again. It gets really dry. And there ought to be a button on this thing that says, I pledged. I got a better deal for you. This uh, Friday evening, 5 o'clock, you can come here. We will feed you. And we have our own golden voice and our own feather fingers. James Doubteth will lead us in Christmas carols. No fundraising. Please show up. Sign up in the fellowship hall. Thank you, Noel. I'd also like to ask Dan Trana to come forward, please. Um, tonight, we're going to be having a ham supper in the Fellowship Hall, and that'll be followed by a Christmas sing-along. So we have tickets available in the Fellowship Hall. I'll also have them um, at the door tonight. So 5 o'clock, ham supper, and the Christmas sing-along is going to feature a bunch of our young people in the church that are going to be performing, and we're going to sing some carols. So 5 o'clock, ham supper tonight, followed by Christmas sing-along. Hope you all join us. Thank you, Dan. I'll be joining Dan washing dishes tonight, so please join us. Finally, for a last announcement, I'd like Rob Rhodes to come forward, please. Um, I have a stewardship announcement. Please put your mute button away, okay? <laughs> Contrary to what Noel said. Um, on behalf of the Stewardship Commission, I uh, wanted to give you an update. This past week, we did receive an additional $8,000 in pledges, and that brings our total for the 2016 campaign up to uh, $588,000 at this point. Um, now, we're still... Uh, Behind last year, about $37,000 behind where we ended the program uh, campaign for last year. Um, we are well aware of the fact that many folks are not in a position uh, and have certain circumstances that preclude them pledging, and that's certainly well, well understood. However, if you do uh, intend to pledge and make a commitment for 2016, 
We would encourage you to do so at your earliest convenience as we're looking to finalize our financial plans for next year. Um, as you may note in the bulletin today, um, any contributions you intend for 2015, pledges, or if you intend to prepay your pledge for 2016, we'd ask that you have those contributions into the church office uh, by Tuesday, the 5th of January, in order to have them properly reflected on your year-end membership statement. As we joyfully celebrate our Savior's birth this Advent season, let us all be thankful for the many blessings that we've received and in turn help us to be a blessing to others through the ministry and mission of our church. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Please join us for worship. Thank you for the toe-tapping start this morning, choir. Please join me in our responsive call to worship. God spoke through the prophet Isaiah, saying, When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst. 
I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. Let us who know our need and yearn for salvation wait upon God with hope and expectancy. Gracious God, most of us are among the most blessed, the best educated, housed, and fed for this earth. Yet we still know ourselves to be among the poor and the needy. Our souls thirst for living water in the dryness of this contemporary wilderness. For light in the darkness and for love in the coldness, we come seeking Jesus. We yearn, we hope. We wait for the fulfillment of the prophetic promise of salvation. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. If it helps you today, you can hum in your mind the hymn to God be the glory as we prepare for this prayer of confession and then pray it, beginning first with the left side and then the right side and then the center. John spoke as a prophet a voice to be heard. He preached in the desert, proclaiming God's word. Come here and be baptized, and God will forgive. He taught all those people a new way to live. God of truth, God of grace, hear our cry and forgive. May your church in this place find a new way to live. Confront us and heal us, as now we confess our sins and our pitfalls and all our distress. We hear in December, 
God of truth, God of grace, hear our cry and forgive. May your church in this place find a new way to live. In Christ you redeem us, grant pardon and grace. Renewed and restored, Lord, this peace we embrace. Last Sunday, we lit the candle of hope to signify the hope of Jesus' arrival. Next week, we'll light the candle of joy that reminds us of the good news that we brought to earth through God, taking human form through Jesus. But today, we light our second candle, the candle of peace. found in God and in his son Jesus Christ. John Baptist and other prophets remind us that to receive peace we must be prepared for it. Indeed peace like so many other event advent attributes are related to each other as the apostle Paul showed in Romans, when he said, May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing, so that we may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. She's usually not that bashful. <laughs> we light this candle today to remind us that Christ is the Prince of Peace, the one promised from the beginning of the world. Jesus was the one who said, My peace I give you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. The prophet, the prophet Isaiah said, God will keep in perfect peace all those who trust in him, whose thoughts turn often to the Lord.
Far in the east were some astrologers who had seen the star. They followed it as people of peace. Little did they know that the star would lead them to a stable where there was a baby. When that baby began to teach as an adult, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Let us pray. O God of peace, Emmanuel, God with us, we pray you to send your peace into our hearts at this time. Help us to be ready for the day and the hour of Christ's final appearing. Live in us and help us to live in you. May we heed prophetic advice, turn from sin, spurn evil, and embrace God's love. May the message of hope and peace revealed in scripture long ago help us to honor your incarnation. By the power of the Holy Spirit, transform us so that our worship, our celebration, our time of preparation may be pleasing to you both now and forevermore. Amen. A reading from... The Old Testament prophet Malachi. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. He will refine them until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we've got some exciting things to do this morning, so I'm going to invite the children to come on up. And as they're coming, Craig's going to be coming up too. Well, it's been a busy week for you, Craig, you and all of those artists who've been making things for us. And um, this is our Advent calendar, and today, officially since it's the sixth day of Advent... And the second Sunday, we should be opening door number six. Any idea what might be behind door number six? You know already, Skylar? Yes, make a random guess. One of the three kings. Let's see. Number six. It is. One of the three kings. Oh, 
that reminds us, we have to figure out where the kings are today, right? Uh, they were in the balcony last night. Have any of you found where the three kings are? They've been following the star. That's right. They're back on the back window over here. You will find the three kings. They're going to be finding their way to the front. And today, we lit uh, the second candle, which is the candle of what? Do you remember what this is the candle for? Yeah. We lit the candle of hope last week. So this week, we lit, Sophia, the candle of peace. Guess what probably this is all about back here? Peace? Okay, Craig, show us what you've done. Last week was all about hope. This week it's all about peace. Yeah. And all of that is made of pages from the Bible, right? pretty special about peace. Now, something happened this week that really went by me. I almost forgot completely about it. And uh, it was important. Uh, I brought a lot of books. Any idea what all these books are about? Huh? Charlie Brown and Snoopy. Yeah, I have about 30 or 40 of them here. I've collected them, my dad collected them. We've had a lot of Charlie Brown and Snoopy books over the years. And then I have um, Snoopy. Yeah, I take care of Snoopy. But I also have... It's not a chicken. It looks like a chicken. This is a canary. I'll tell you a secret. Do you know what a 500-pound canary says? 500-pound canary says, Chirp! That's what it says, yeah. But this, this is Woodstock. He's a yellow, yellow bird. I've got multiple Woodstocks. And you know I have a lot of puppets, so this is probably a what? Puppet. Yeah, this is a puppet Woodstock, right? Well, even more importantly than that, I would have missed it. This is the 50th anniversary of Charlie Brown's Christmas. They first put that on television in 1965. And the Mitchell household has a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. So it needs to go over here. And, and whose is this, do you suppose? Linus's blanket, right. It goes around the bottom. And then there was one Christmas ball that Charlie Brown put on the Christmas tree. Now, I thought it was so important. Guess what I put on today? My Charlie Brown sweater. Yeah, I have. I thought that was important to have my Charlie Brown sweater on. And then, what happened? On Charlie Brown's Christmas, they were ice skating and things, and they were going to put on a Christmas play. And Charlie Brown decided to go get a Christmas tree. And this is the tree he came back with for their Christmas play. And do you think people thought it was a nice-looking tree? What did they say? Some said, practice this with me. You're a blockhead, Charlie Brown. Blockhead, Charlie Brown, yeah. That's a stupid tree. And they laughed at Charlie Brown. 
But Charlie Brown didn't go find that tree by himself. Do you know who he went with? He went with Linus. Somebody's got their striped Linus shirt on today, don't they? Okay, Skylar. And what did Linus do? Do you remember? Yeah, he did. He made a short speech about the meaning of Christmas. And, and you know what he said before he read from the Bible, right? What did he say? Spotlight, please. Spotlight, please. Yes, he said spotlight, please. That's right. And then, and then what did he read? Do you remember something he read? Could you read a little bit of Luke chapter 2 for us? Why don't you come over here by the microphone? That would be good. In those days, a decree went out from, the, from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while um, Crenus um, was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from, town of, from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, the city of David, called Bethlehem. Because he, he was descended from the house and family of David, he went to be registered with Mary, whom, to whom he was engaged, and, whom, and who was there the time who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Yeah, and that's what he read. And then what did he say after he read that? And that is the meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown. That is the meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown. Come on down, Skylar. Because there was something else that really happened. When, when Linus was reading that, by the way, he continued to read, and Charles Schultz, who created Charlie Brown Christmas, uh, the network decided that there was one part of the show they wanted to eliminate. Guess what part they wanted to take out? The reading of the Christmas story by Linus. They felt that it would be good to remove that. The show would be improved. And that's the favorite part. But I watched it this week and I saw something I never saw before. Because after Linus read the first part, what was Linus holding on to? His blanket. Linus was always holding his blanket. And when Linus read the section that went, Fear not. He dropped his blanket. He didn't have to be afraid to hold on to his blanket anymore. And at the end, everybody who thought it was kind of funny that he had that kind of tree took some ornaments off of Snoopy's doghouse (laughs) and decorated the tree. And after everybody surrounded the tree with love, it looked more like this one. 
Because love not only does that to trees, love does that to people too. And that's good to know. Let's thank God for this. Lord God, we thank you for this day, for those who create wonderful light boxes and murals and those who write wonderful Christmas stories, especially the one that Luke wrote. Help us, Lord, as we anticipate the arrival of Christmas to bring about peace in a world that needs it so badly. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you have a great time in Sunday school today. We give thanks for cacophony and the pitter-patter of little feet and stories that make us all feel like children. I also give thanks for our eighth-grade liturgists. Annie Glennon joins us this morning as she did the prayer of the day as part of her confirmation requirements, and you did a marvelous job, dear. Thank you very much. In our theme of Thanksgiving, we continue with Paul writing to the Philippians. I invite you to hear God's word to each one of us. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart for all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, uh-huh.
Susan, come on up. This is Susan Orr. Some of you know her, and many of you have never met Susan. She works in our presbytery office. If you've ever had to call the Resource Center, you speak to Susan. And if you've forgotten books that you have taken <laughs> from the center, Susan gives you a call to remind you that Very you friendly. need to bring them back. <laughs> Very friendly. Susan's great interest in what she does through our presbytery is really to help the Presbytery do its mission. And mission is very important to her. She let me know that she was going to be in worship, and I said, why don't you read the gospel lesson for us today? We'd be grateful to have you with us. Susan, welcome to, to Pittsburgh. Thank you. It is wonderful to be here. Thank you so much. Our gospel reading today comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 68 through 79. Elizabeth has just given birth to her son, whom she names John. And the gathered crowd around asks, What then will this child be? Zechariah, the baby's father, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us, In the house of the servant David. And he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, The dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Thank you, choir. Most everyone has their own concept of what is important in life. Sometimes it can be reduced to an epitaph. I hadn't been in this particular cemetery before, uh, but I arrived ahead of the family who were coming for an interment. So I wandered around the cemetery a bit, and there was a tombstone that left little doubt about a priority. Under a certain man's name and the dates of his birth and death was carved this inscription, Bold 300 in 1982. We know what was important to him. He wants Bold 300. He wanted the world to know it. Mavis was taking her time browsing through a yard sale. She said to the homeowner, You know, my husband's going to be very angry when he finds out that I stopped at the yard sale here. And this homeowner reassured her. She said, Well, I'm sure he'll understand when you tell him about all of the bargains that you found. And Mavis offered, Well, normally yes, but he just broke his leg and he's waiting for me to take him to the emergency room. (laughs) Priorities and important things come through, don't they? Yeah. Early in December, several years ago, a resident of a New York apartment building opened the door to her apartment and found a greeting card taped to the outside of the door. It said, Merry Christmas from the custodial staff. That's nice, she thought. And she promptly forgot about it. About a week later, she came home to find another card taped to her door. This one said, Merry Christmas from the custodial staff. Second notice. (laughs) Kind of like Advent, the second Sunday, right? This is your second notice about the coming of the Christ. Today we flip to the prophet Malachi to hear a second announcement of the coming of Christ, the writer confronts us with this haunting question, who may abide the day of his coming? Oh, that's a good question. Not everyone feels the need for Christmas. I mean, there are lots of people who feel no need of transcendence in their lives. They don't need God. They think that if they did enough good stuff, life will work out. And there are others who are believers but think participation in the Christian fellowship is kind of unimportant, really. As long as they're good neighbors, that'll be enough. Now, I would not want to presume on how God regards all of this. But I do know this. If salvation is on the basis of merits and brownie points, somebody better figure out where the line is drawn. How good will be good enough? It was a rather nominal church member who had toted a similar question in mind. He believed that he could be just good enough. His life would be all the justification he needed to shore life eternal. And then one night... He dreamed of that final judgment. He peeked to see who was in front of him, and to his amazement, he discovered he was standing behind Mother Teresa. And the saintly nun was called to stand before the Lord 
just before him. Can you imagine his surprise when he overheard God saying to Mother Teresa, Teresa, I was really expecting a little more out of you. Does God grade on the curve? Good question. Certainly those who rely only on what they believe to be relatively good behavior or those who may not be able to abide his coming. Not only will those who substitute works for worship have a bit of a struggle with this prophecy, but so will those who value religion over relationships or those who come to church and have never come to any relationship with Christ. You see, Christian faith is more than a religion. It's a relationship with God and with the world for which Christ died and the world God created. Salvation is not a matter of signing on a dotted line. It's far more complicated. It's saying yes to a love that seeks to flood our lives. More evil has been done through the ages in the name of religion than can be counted. Religion is not worth your time or mine. But a relationship with God a relationship in which you give love and receive it, and a relationship with your neighbor in which you share freely that you might build one another up is a much more valuable commodity. George Mason discovered this the hard way. He didn't much care for people. He was a bachelor. He spent his evening and his weekends alone. He had a comfortable apartment. He didn't have much of a social life. George had refused invitations to dinners and other affable occasions so often that nobody invited him anymore. Didn't bother George. George Mason's life was completely absorbed by his business at the bank. Then late one Christmas Eve, after his employees had left, George Mason went into the office vault to get a little extra cash. And soundlessly, on newly oiled hinges, the great vault door swung shut behind him. Sudden darkness and the final click of the automatic lock startled George. He began to panic. He desperately pounded on the door. Then he realized that no one could hear Everyone had gone home, even the cleaning crew. He consoled himself with the thought that surely he could last it out until morning. (laughs) Then he remembered the next day was not a working day. It was Christmas. His heart pounded. He was afraid in the darkness. He wondered if he would have enough air. Trying to calm himself, he remembered that when the new vault was installed, they had told him something about a safety hole. It was on the back wall. It was too small for burglars, but large enough so that one could breathe in the vault. Christmas Eve and Christmas Day passed. But since Christmas was on a Friday, the bank wouldn't be open on Saturday. They gave everybody a long weekend and It wasn't open on Sunday. George was alone, as he usually was, 
He was uncomfortable, hungry, thirsty, and in the deepest darkness. Finally, Monday morning came and his chief cashier arrived and unlocked the vault, but didn't open the door. Without anyone seeing him, George Mason staggered out of his prison and tottered to the water cooler. He took a long drink of water. Then he took a taxi to his solitary apartment and freshened. In a short time, he was back at the office. Nobody asked him how he had spent his Christmas. Nobody missed him. Nobody really cared. After that experience... George Mason put a sign on the back wall of the vault. The sign was to remind him of those desperate hours, and the sign read, To be indispensable somewhere is the secret of happiness. To love people is God's purpose for life. Now, we don't know if George discovered his dependence on God, but he certainly discovered his dependence on others. It simply cannot be overemphasized. The most important possession we have is our relationship to God and how we experience that in relationship with other people. Who shall abide the day of his coming? Shall those who substitute just work for worship or those who value religion over relationships? Or how about those who celebrate Christmas without Christ? Not everyone who places a star atop their tree has Christ near the top of their lives. I recall receiving a Christmas card that had on its cover, If Christ Had Not Come. I looked up at the small library in my study and office. Most of the books would be gone. In my own mind, I pictured myself opening up a Bible. The Old Testament was there, but there was no New Testament. No message about love and grace. Plenty of messages about justice. I don't know what we do with a person like Malachi. He thunders through the Bible. The last book in the Old Testament is his. And this traditional prophetic Advent reading suggests that the initial emotion most appropriate to Advent is terror. Terrorized by Advent. Well, if not you, you might remember the Advent when you terrorized your children. You made them sit on Santa's lap at the store, and they cried and screamed bloody murder. You might be terrorized by price tags. You feel terrorized by anti-Christian sentiment that surfaces as a cry for inclusionary tolerance. You may feel terrorized by the sheer number of things to do before Christmas arrives in 19 days. 
You suspect that you're losing your mind, your blood pressure rises. But this is not the terror Malachi illumines. He's talking about heart-clutching fear. It's the I'm going to die horror. This can't be happening to me. I mean, we need to be reminded on the church calendar, Advent is in fact not just a prelude to the celebration of the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. Rather, it's a time to think more broadly about God's coming. Advent means coming. And when he comes again. Malachi was the last of the Old Testament prophets. His ministry took place about 460 B.C., a hundred years after the people of Judah had returned from exile in Babylon, more than 50 years after the temple had been rebuilt in Jerusalem. Some of the people had hoped, even expected, that the completion of the building would launch a new era where Judah would return to her former glory. That never happened. And the people had to deal with the truth that they would remain subjects of the Persian Empire and that their land was essentially a backwater of that kingdom. There was a lot of incentive for vibrant worship of God, according to chapters 1 and 2. But the priests, according to Malachi, had become careless and sloppy. The attitude among many in general population wasn't much better, according to the prophet. And the lectionary has trimmed the reading a little too tightly. If you were to read the verses that precede the ones we read today or the ones after, it makes it pretty clear that everything that they were doing, people were wearying the Lord. All who do evil are good in the sight of the Lord, and you think the Lord delights in them. That's how Malachi speaks. Our text is the scene when Malachi speaks the word of the Lord and talks about cleaning things up with soap and lye. It's a way of having fear. I remember a famous painting that David Shelley hung in the parlor of the East Main Presbyterian Church in Grove City. Every time I went into that room, I'd stare at it. You probably have seen this painting. It showed Jesus standing at a doorway in a garden, patiently knocking at the door. It's usually understood as picturing Christ asking admission to our hearts. But for many of us, our surrender to Christ came not because he gently asked permission to come into our lives. It was more like he kicked the door in and entered like an intruder, commanding space, making it clear he was taking over, at least for a brief while. Eventually, we were encouraged to make a choice about whether or not we would let the Christ remain or kick him out. That kind of image squares with Malachi's words here about redemption. While a few of us may have found discipleship to be an easy path to walk, others of us have to be catapulted onto it from our self-centeredness and sin-blindedness 
and our self-righteousness. It's clear in the New Testament that the gospel writers understood John the Baptist as the messenger about whom Malachi spoke. And we note that John's call for repentance from sin was not a soft and tender moment either. But that was the first advent. Today we get a second notice. This notice comes to pierce our pride and to bring us peace that when God came in the form of human flesh, he came quietly into a Palestinian hamlet And when he then became an adult, he would make a sacrificial claim. This is my body. Broken. For you. That's where faith rooted in love starts. Please join me in prayer. Giving God, we pause and wonder, what would happen if we tithed, if we gave our gifts, creator, hearts, and hands will open wide. We might learn by gladly sharing, not to trust in things we own, but to risk it's part of caring, and to trust in you alone. God, we know we cannot pay you for your love in Christ, your Son. Gifts and tithes are just a thank you, ways to pass your blessings on. We have learned that in our sharing, we receive more than we give. By your Spirit, make us daring in this joyful way to live. This is not the table of First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh. It is the Lord's table. And our Lord invites all those who put their trust in him to come here.
for spiritual nourishment and hope. May the God of peace extend his invitation to you. Our great prayer today, which is traditional for Advent, is one that is responsive. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and our greatest joy to give you thanks and praise, O Lord our God, creator and ruler of the universe. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. You set us in this world to love and serve you and to live in peace with all that you have made. Therefore we praise you, for you are holy, O God of majesty, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. You sent him into this world to satisfy the longings of your people for a Savior, to bring freedom to the captives of sin, and to establish justice for the oppressed. Remembering your gracious acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine and joyfully celebrate his dying and rising as we wait the day of his coming. With thanksgiving, we offer our very selves to you 
to be a living and holy sacrifice dedicated to your service. Amen. On the night of his arrest, our Lord and Savior took a simple loaf of bread. And as he was accustomed to doing, he gave thanks for it. But then he did something completely different. He broke it, and he gave it to each of his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In gratitude and obedience, we do.
In a very similar way, after supper, our Lord took the cup, as I do, ministering in his name. He said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant poured out in my blood for the forgiveness of sin. He said, as often as you eat of this bread or drink of this cup, you proclaim my death until I come again. Behold, the cup of salvation poured out for you. Drink ye all of it.
I can't think of a more beautiful arrangement or a more beautiful reason. Allison Carl Swetman, congratulations on 57 years of marriage. We also give thanks and praise to see individuals back from college. Cam Rossington, I still have in my office, and I pull out every advent, this wonderful computer-generated program that you did about the birth of Christ when you were seven. I love it. And now you're all grown up. Man, yeah, stop it. All right. We also give thanks and praise that the messengers have been able to move their family here. So good to have you here. Congratulations. Delighted to have you amongst us. We do give thanks that God has received two saints into the kingdom this week. Monsignor Richard Albert. While many of us haven't had the chance to personally get to know him, he's the gentleman who made Jazzy happen. He started the St. Patrick's Foundation in Jamaica with whom we partner on a regular basis. It was one of his ideas along with Kurt Hurge to have this wonderful sports camp. And he died suddenly at the age of 69 in his beloved Jamaica. What moves me even more is that Taylor Frank, one of our young persons here in this congregation who attended Jazzy three times and was so moved by that and by his interactions with Monsignor Albert that he went down and spent a semester at the University of West Indies. And he wrote this eulogy that is appearing in the Jamaica Gleaner that will make you cry. What a loving outpouring saying to this man who gave his life to Jamaica and to the love of Christ. So we do, our hearts are heavy, but we give thanks for the ways that he made a difference in this world. And similarly, Muriel Nothard made a difference in this world. She passed from this world to the next on the early Friday morning. She went into Advent House Thursday morning, and she said she was ready. She went into the same room where Chet was, and he helped guide her home. We give thanks and praise. Her memorial service will be here on Tuesday at 10.30 a.m. We also have a prayer request this morning from Len Parker and Rachel August for recovery of Artie Lowenthal from a hospital procedure to remove excessive lung fluid. And we're confident that the physicians will work with God's assistance to make that recovery go well. We also are in continuing prayer for Jim Hotelling. His heart procedure this week was supposed to go in this way. They couldn't do that successfully, so they had to open him up again a second time. He is in cardiac intensive care unit in guarded condition. Please pray for him and for Ann Kay and for their kids. We're also in prayer for Judy Johnson, who on candlelight night, bright, wonderful night, fell and broke her ankle. So please pray for her and for Ed and for good humor in their household. Thanks, Carrie. Please join me in prayer. We thank you, O God, for Jesus the Christ, who comes as Redeemer and Reformer and Revolutionary. Lord God, we thank you for the love that you have poured down upon us that seems to be more evident during Advent. We pray for a deep hunger that prepares us to receive the one who comes. We pray for those who deny the depth of their need for you, that they might see themselves and their lifestyle and the world as it is, even through your eyes. We pray for those who trust in possessions that they will realize the spiritual despair in this culture 
and the need for a Savior. We give you thanks this day for the lives that have meant so much to us, Muriel's and Monsignor Albert's, those for whom we love and care. Now, O God, we ask that you will continue to bless us as we come through this time, that we might offer the world a vision of hope rather than the terror that comes of challenging human beings, their own living, by frightening them and murdering them, innocent lives. We pray for those who speak gloom and doom, that they will see an awareness of human condition as a gift of readiness for salvation. Lord God, bless us, that we might be a blessing as we put into action the prayer we often say using the words of Christ, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on heaven as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Christ is coming, second notice. Be forewarned, it is time to love a world that needs it. Go in peace. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit go with us and abide with us all today 
and in the life everlasting. Amen.